You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. These two commandments inevitably go together. And there's no reason to argue about these matters or whether you like it or not. This is God's commandment. You are to love your brother. And this has been consistently addressed and commanded both in the Old and New Testament alike. And it's something that's not open for speculation interpretation, or our own conclusions. Guess what? God's commandments are exactly that, commandments. They're what he said, and he expects us to do them. The two main ones you've likely heard and that Pastor Mike will talk about today are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Are you doing those two things? Pastor Mike will remind you that God hasn't left them open for interpretation or for us to ignore. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to love God and love those around you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 4 for his message, Members of the Same Family. Now, it seems to me that in these four verses of Scripture that make up our text this evening, John, the beloved apostle, the writer of this epistle, brings us to a conclusion concerning this vital, important subject of loving the brethren, which we've begun treating all the way back in verse 7. Now, John does this in terms of four propositions. These are his conclusions. And each one of them is to be found in each of the four verses. So with that said, that sets the platform, the stage for this evening's message. The first of which is, and it serves also as our first point, a different quality of love. A different quality of love. Listen, we're not talking about human love here. We're talking about something supernatural, something that's imparted to us by God himself. Notice in verse 19, let's go back to our text. He says, we love him because he first loved us. Now, just take that on its own merit, that, that one statement. And let's for a moment not even consider loving the brethren. But this suggests to us that it is God who places his love within us. We wouldn't even be able to love him unless he first loved us. You see, it's a work that God has done in each and every one of us. He's planted his love in us. And therefore, it's a different quality of love. You see, God 
didn't just love us in order that we might be forgiven and rescued from judgment, although that's at least in part uh, what that love is all about, but that work was designed to produce a certain kind of a person, a different kind of a person than the way that we once were. He set out to produce a new race, if you think about it, modeled and patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For example, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, verse 29, here's a cross-reference for you. For whom he foreknew, that would be you and me. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he, that is Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, what does that suggest to you? What does that suggest to us? That Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Who are the many brethren? That would be you. That would be me. I don't know if you've ever considered that text of Scripture in relationship to that truth. So Christians are to be like Jesus. And particularly, we are to reproduce the love of Christ in our lives and through our lives. Now, what does that look like? Well, all you got to do is read the Gospels and examine our compassionate, forgiving, patient, giving, loving Christ. And you'll know exactly what God is looking to do in and through your life. You'll come to the correct conclusion. Remember, Jesus put it this way when Philip asked the question, you know, show us the Father. And uh, Jesus' response to that request was, Philip, how long have you been with me now? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Just examine the life of Christ as is recorded for us in all four of the gospel accounts. So this is the Apostle John's first argument. And that begs the question then, do we have this quality of love within us? And again, as I mentioned before in my opening prayer, this actually serves then as the ultimate test of this. In fact, as we address the question, are in fact we being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Are we different from what we once were? You see that? So that's John's first proposition here. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is loving without hypocrisy. So if you're taking notes, write that down. It's up there on the screen. Loving without hypocrisy. So the second argument of John's is found in verse 20. So let's read that once again. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? Okay, so think about this. Here's a guy who is saying, I love God, who has claimed to have taken the name of Christ, claims to be a Christian. I love God. But it's obvious in practice, he hates his brother. For example, he's not speaking to his brother. He's annoyed with his brother. He'll have nothing to do with his brother. It was all inclusive. This relates to everyone that's a member of this congregation. That's your brother. That's your sister in Christ. 
And I understand that there are some people that you make a, a stronger and greater connection with than other people. Maybe because you have many things in common with that individual, it makes you able to relate to that person and he be able to relate to you in a better way. I understand that. But I want you to think about it. Is there someone in the fellowship who may have slighted you, done you wrong, said something about you that they shouldn't have behind your back and you become aware of it? Well, how do you respond to that brother? Listen, he's still your brother. So here's a guy who was saying, I love God. That's his profession. But again, it's obvious in practice he hates his brother. There's hatred rather than love. So John says concerning that individual, and there's only one conclusion to come to, black and white, he says that person is a liar. Now, isn't that strange? This seems so inconsistent with who John, the beloved apostle, was. When you think of John, you know, you, you picture John on the you know, resting on the shoulder of the Lord at the Last Supper and the beloved apostle. That's the name that has been given him, the beloved apostle. Well, let me, but, you know, this is amazing. John is fond of using this term, a liar. We think of John as this passive kind of a guy, but the truth of the matter is he's probably a really tough dude. And he didn't mix words. He called the liar a liar. Now, this verse 20, which is the statement of John's, may seem like a contradiction at first sight. Let's go back to verse 20. It may seem like a uh, contradiction because, you know, someone may be thinking, well, you know, it's easy to love God because in him there's no flaws in his character, in his person. And then you have the brother, you know, who you've had a problem with. And he, we know, is a sinner. He's guilty of a sin. And that, that sin may have been directed towards you. And we know that that brother is not perfect. And so, therefore, it's a lot easier to love God than it is that brother that you may have had an altercation with. And John seems to be promoting the idea of loving the brethren first here, in fact. I mean, look at verse 20. I mean, just purely take it the way that it's written. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? It almost, it almost seems that John is suggesting he's putting as a priority loving your brother before loving God. Because what he's suggesting is you can't possibly love God if you're hating your brother. So it's almost the same as like he's promoting the idea that we are to love our brother first. But... Of course, that is not correct. John isn't suggesting that at all. Now, let me back that up with a cross-reference for you. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 22, and I'll explain this in a moment, but in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 22, in verses 37 through 39, Jesus said to him, you shall love the... And by the way, the, the fellow just asked him what's the greatest commandments, and, you know, and uh, so Jesus is responding to that question. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he goes on in verse 38. This is the first and great commandment. And then the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So what's the point? What's the point that I'm trying to make here? Well, you see, there's no separation between these two commandments. They have to be taken as one. Jesus coupled them together, didn't he? If the first commandment is that I should love the Lord my God, and if I'm doing that, well, then I should be supremely concerned with doing what he asks me to do. And exactly what is it that he's asking me to do? Well, love my brother. So there is a sense in which I cannot love God without loving my fellow man at the same time. You know, think of it this way. To love God is to love those who are loved by God. Let me say that again. To love God is to love those who are loved of God. I got to tell you something, unfortunately, and I've seen this. I, I don't see it here in the church, and thank God for it, because if I did see it, I would address it. I would go to those people, I'd get them together, I'd make sure that they made peace with one another, that there would be no schisms and problems, people talking behind other people's backs. And I would imagine that that goes on, and I, and I am not aware of it, because, you know, people are people, and human, and, and uh, you know, and again, we don't always, sometimes we trade evil for evil, right? We're not perfect. God is still has a work to do in each and every one of our our lives. But I got to tell you something, over all of the years that I've been involved in ministry here in New York and in other places, I've seen too many people trying to develop a love for God in their heart, and yet the whole time in actual practice, conduct, and behavior are irritable. They're bad-tempered, and they're selfish. I think that's what John is concerned with here. I think that's the very subject that John is addressing. In John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse 21, Jesus said, He that has my commandment and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And so you want to prove, you want to show that you really love Christ? Well, then love your brother. Now, the same individual that I've just described for you, someone who's loving God and loving his brother at the same time, let me be very clear about this. This is not the man who gets himself all worked up in ecstasy to be able to perform this responsibility when he is alone. He's not someone who is conscious of wonderful feelings. He's just obeying the commandment to love. And that's what we need to do. We just need simply to obey this commandment to love one another. Now, that brings us to our next point perfectly, and that is, and if you're keeping notes this is, or tabs, this is our third point, choose to love. You see, that's exactly true. It's a choice that we make. We choose to love. So John goes on to his third argument, verse 21. Let's go back to our text. And he says, in this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So, that's exactly what we've been talking about. These two commandments inevitably go together. And there's no reason to argue about these matters, or whether you like it or not, this is God's commandment. You are to love your brother. And this has been consistently addressed and commanded, both in the Old and New Testament alike. And it's something that's not open 
for speculation, interpretation, or our own conclusions. Now, someone at this point may be thinking, Pastor Mike, isn't it a little ridiculous to command someone to love? I mean, you cannot command your moods and affections, can you? Well, you don't understand the true nature of love then. Remember, under this heading, choose to love. You see, this kind of love has nothing to do with impulses or instincts. You know, someone has just done something really nice for you and you feel all warm and fuzzy because they've done that. And then you choose to love them or you express your, oh, thank you. You know, you man, I've never thought about that before, but this, that person is a real wonderful person. And I, you know what? I really feel for that person. You know, but just simply because they've done something wonderful for us. It's not about impulses. It's not about instincts. You see, as a Christian, I have a new view of life, a new outlook. I don't see men and women as they really are. I see them in light and in the teaching of God's word. And the moment I begin to think about them like that, my very attitude towards them is changed. Why? Because now I'm looking at them through God's eyes. And it just radically changes my outlook and perspective on loving the brethren. So therefore, it is right to be commanded by God to love. You know, to answer that question, isn't it a little foolish? Isn't it a little strange, you know, that for someone to ask us to love, right? I'm not working up some kinds of feelings here. I must treat every person as my brother or my sister. I need to respond to them as if he was or she was a lovable character, even if they're not a lovable character. I must do to him what God has done for me. That's it. That's the, the Christian ethic. I must not see the sin, but I must see the heart and soul behind it. God commanded us to love the brethren, and this is the manner and the way that we are to do exactly that. Now, that brings us to John's fourth and final proposition here, and that is, and by the way, this fourth and final proposition, if it wasn't so, and John didn't mention it, it would be absolutely impossible to obey this command. And so our fourth point is partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. So if you're taking notes, write that down. So that brings us to our last point, chapter 5 and verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. You see, tree, uh, true Christians, says John, are people who have been made partakers of the divine nature. Notice the phrase there in verse 1 of chapter 5, born of God. You see that? We've been born of God. We haven't just decided to become Christians and then, you know, automatically do certain things. Like all of a sudden we're programmed to do these things. It just happens naturally. You see, it was God. God has worked in our souls. The Holy Spirit has produced a new nature, a new person in us. And that new nature is nothing but the very nature of God himself. Why? Because we have been begotten of 
God. That, says John, is the position and the truth of an individual Christian. But it is also true of the other Christian that you're having difficulties with. And you're having a problem loving. It's also true of them as well. These two people are now children of God. Both. They're both brothers, sisters, members of the same family. They've been begotten by the same father. They're both and equally sharing the same nature. They have the same interests. They have the same outlooks, the same blessed hope, the same everything. Okay, so John says, loving one another doesn't need to be argued for. It simply follows naturally to love the father must of necessity mean to love your brother. You know, think about this. On the human plane, I'm just using this as an example. Think about members of your immediate family. On the human plane, it is quite natural for members of the same family to love one another. And isn't it true, doesn't experience play this out, we are more ready to forgive things in those who are related to us than we are in people who are not. Isn't that true? Well, maybe for some of us anyway. Well, this is the very same principle that operates in the spiritual realm as well. In fact, it's unnatural for true Christians not to love. And so once again, I bring you back to this truth. We are all members of the same family. And I, I, you've heard me say this before, I got, and, I, and, I, and I really mean this. I'm more closer to uh, some of my brothers and sisters in Christ than they are close to members of my immediate family. It's true. I'm closer to some people that are Christians my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I, you know, maybe you can fault me for that or whatever, but I, have, I just have a more closer relationship with them than I do with members of my immediate family. And take this into consideration. Listen to this. One day, we're all going to be in heaven together. Even that brother who's just raked you over the coals, who's been causing you all of the problems, all of the difficulty, you're going to be spending eternity with that person together. So that raises the question then, how can I be acting the wrong way towards that person? Because guess what? When you're in heaven, you're not going to be able to hide from them. But think about that. You're not going to be able to hide from that person who you ill-treated while you were here upon the earth. So I begin to argue like that. That's the way I need to think, within reasoning within my own heart. I begin to argue like that with myself. If I take myself in hand, I see I'm absolutely wrong not to love that person no matter what's gone on. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. 1 John 4, 9 reminds us that we can be certain God loves us. How is this possible? We know because He sent His one and only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. We are given the chance at eternal life with our Creator because Jesus came to the earth to die in our place. His gift of grace is available to you today. 
Would you like to learn more about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus? We'd be happy to tell you all about it. Please give us a call at 212-247-1877. You can also find out more about this relationship by visiting our website, harvestnyc.org. Under the Resources tab, you'll find some information on how to know God. This will tell you why you need a Savior, why God sent His Son, and how your life can be transformed forever. You're always welcome to connect with us with questions, and we'd love to know if you've made a decision to follow Jesus. Our phone number again is 212-247-1877. We want to meet you, too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org. Or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday, so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. Thanks for tuning in to In My Father's House. Oh